The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello again, and welcome to Observations, your front row seat to the greatest show on earth. I'm your host, Rob Lerner. We broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern from our Observations Facebook page and the Observations podcast channel on the Metaphor Creative Media YouTube page from the Broadcast Beat Studios located in Oakland Park, Florida. If you have a question, a comment, or a story you'd like to share, you can join in on the conversation by giving the podcast a call at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. You can also instant message your questions and comments live on our Facebook page. Here on Observations, we attempt to give you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers go through on a daily basis. We also talk about recent events, happenings, and the latest topics pertaining to law enforcement that not only affect officers, but you, the general public, as well. Last week, my guest Dean and I continued on a conversation from a previous show regarding some current scams including the uh, grandparent scam, the overpayment scam, and the Equifax breach. I understand there are a number of scams out there, and I'd like to talk about them, and I promise we'll revisit that topic on a future episode. But tonight's topic of discussion is the dangers of traffic stops and pursuits, which we're going to get into in just a little bit. Right now I want to touch on some recent law enforcement-related news stories. We'll talk about the shooting of a Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff as he was standing in the Lancaster Station parking lot. And apparently there's a lot more to that story than meets the eye. There were also three separate mass shooting plots that were stopped around the country in Connecticut, Florida, and Ohio. This story illustrates the need for people to stop ignoring warning signs and if you see something, say something. We'll also talk about the Camden, New Jersey Police Department launching a strict last resort use of force policy. Makes you wonder if the people who come up with these laws have ever walked the streets or been in a situation where life and death decisions had to be made. We'll continue the conversation on these stories in just a bit, but first I want to introduce tonight's guests. You might recognize both of them as guests from previous shows. 
One is a highly decorated retired police officer of the NYPD, poppy counselor, and a guest on last week's show, Dean Swade. Dean, I'd like to welcome you back to the show. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. Glad to be back. Glad to have you. You're a very highly decorated police officer, combat course recipient, Medal of Valor, and uh, Purple Heart. Yep. So. Thank you so much. It's impressive. You know, thankfully, I never received any of those. I'm yeah. sure my mother's happy I never received any of those. It's, it was nice to receive them, but it, 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 it all worked out good for me. So I did what I had to do, and I'm glad to be recognized. It's, uh, it's good to be appreciated. Absolutely. Thank God. For those of you not familiar with PAPA, it's the acronym for a support organization and stands for Police Organization Providing Peer Assistance. It helps officers that are going through all different types of crises. My other guest started his career back in 1974. I was 13. And as a retired deputy sheriff who I met when I started with the sheriff's office, he took me under his wing and has been a good friend of mine ever since. He was also the show's first guest on the inaugural Observations podcast, Gary Dickinson. Gary, welcome back. I don't want to shortchange you. You're also a Combat Cross recipient. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I kind of feel left out. And I'm happy to be here with you, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, glad to have you here. Glad to have both of you here. It's great that you're here. Normally at this time, we would ask our guests why they became police officers and what they love about the job. But since we've already done that, we're going to take advantage of this time to let our listeners know that we are very happy and excited to announce that Gary will be joining us permanently as my co-host on Conservations. Uh, Gary, it's, it's great to have you here with me working. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to share a lot of good stories that we did in the past and make, uh, make some new memories. There you go, buddy. We're a team. We are, but this is my turn to take you under my wing. That's true. Since, since this is new to you, it's, it's new to me, but I've got a little more experience. I'm yeah, going to take, take you under my wing. Tonight, we'll continue our discussion from last week with Dean about some serious incidents that he was involved in during his very active career. One, of fits, one which fits right into tonight's topic that involved a vehicle pursuit. But before that, each episode I'd like to discuss some recent events or incidents in the news that are of interest or concern to me as a law enforcement officer, such as those I mentioned a few minutes ago. First story is about a Los Angeles County deputy who was standing in the station house parking lot of the Lancaster Station House when allegedly an unknown gunman shot him in the shoulder. Other deputies on the scene were also fired upon, but nobody was hit. The authorities, this is originally reported that, reported that the authorities thought the shooting was coming from an elevated building that was a sniper condition. Right. Um, it launched a massive manhunt, SWAT, helicopters, unknown uh, amounts of resources were wasted, and uh, further investigation revealed that it never happened. You know, so he's going to be okay physically, um, but that might not be the case any other ways. You know, it was falsely reported. He was immediately suspended and is facing criminal charges. Terrible situation, you know, uh, very embarrassing for the uh, the cops that were uh, to go out there and do real police work. <laughs> there's, uh, there's no there's no reason to fake something like that. It's kind of uh, embarrassing. And then I looked up the story, and then he had some kind of a t tear in his shirt and had some kind of a bandage injury, and it was all just falsified. Yeah, he, uh, he used a knife to put a hole in his shirt. And I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, you, you think... Someone like that is probably has some kind of mental issues or look for attention or something like that. Uh, it's it's horrible that it's embarrassing to uh, <laughs> cops who go out there and work real hard. 
Oh, absolutely. It diminishes a, a lot of things. You know, this, this was eerily reminiscent of the uh, 2016 shooting in Dallas, Texas, where they had five police officers that were killed during an ambush and nine other officers that were uh, injured. And that was from a, a uh, Mika Xavier Johnson, who was uh, upset about uh, police officers, you know, sh shooting blacks, and he wanted to kill more white police officers and, and, and kill whites. And, uh, Wasn't he a combat veteran? Yes, he was. He was an Afghan <coughs> war veteran. Yeah. He was. And, uh, you know, there's a standoff that uh, lasted for hours, several hours. And during the standoff, the p police were able to utilize a robot. And they utilized the robot to, to finally terminate the situation. It was the first time that uh, a robot was used to actually kill an assailant, which was uh, kind of amazing. The thing is, that, sh that shooting with the five police officers was the deadliest incident involving police officers since the 9-11 uh, attacks, you know, the, the mass shootings with cops. And if I'm not mistaken, that was a moving scene, too, because he kept moving down the street and moving down the street further, shooting back, and they were chasing him around. And exactly. I think they finally got him in a parking garage or something like that. Well, what, what happened, too, is when I watched the video, he was originally it was from a sniper position, and there was one officer that you could see that was taking cover behind a pillar. And, you know, when we take cover and con concealment, the trick is to have cover and conceal yourself, but you also have to be able to see what's going on. And I, I believe this officer was so close that he couldn't see yeah, he, this he guy coming. He lost his bearings of where the perp was, and uh, he ended up getting shot, and, and he was killed. But yeah. And there was a lot of space in that, uh, in that, um, in that whole incident. And, uh, yeah, they chased him quite a, quite a, there was a lot of area to cover there. And uh, if you watch those videos, he really knew tactics on how to use cover and and concealment. And when you're dealing with something like that, it's, it's very hard. Oh, was it's it, a tragedy. It was, yeah, definitely. And it was his military training that came back. And he was definitely at an advantage. We were disadvantaged from, I guess, his training could have been so much better than some of the officers that were involved. And it, it was tragic. But thank God it finally came to an end. You know, they were able to terminate it. Well... It, if anything, they learn from it, and uh, hopefully it'll never happen again. Absolutely. And then you get this, this other clown, for lack of a better word, uh, that, that fakes his own shooting. Yeah, and to, and to waste resources and everything like that and, and embarrass the department and possibly injure other people. Uh, the public views us as... Uh, not in a good light when something like that happens. <laughs> right, and, and you know, it's hard enough um, when things are going well for us. Absolutely. It, it's hard enough. Um, but when you get something like this, it's, it's just a, it's a black eye. It's a real black eye. Yeah, it sure is. Well, it makes you wonder because, <clears throat> you know, your daughter or your wife, they're out someplace, they break down or something, cop car pulls up behind them, they see the blue lights and they think, oh, thank God. Maybe they don't think that way with this guy, with people like him out there. It's just not good. No, and uh, from what I understand, he was in trouble very early on in his career. I don't know if it was in the academy, but, uh, you know, they were looking at him for different reasons. And I don't know if he was trying to cement his position somehow uh, to keep them from disciplining him or to fire him, but this was definitely not the way to do it. Not a good situation at all. No, it was, it was uh, not good. It was definitely a black guy. And he wasn't very smart because who in their right mind would think you're going to fool all these cops with a hole in your shirt? Uh, no, and and I, not, I, no exit hole either, just an entry hole. There are, there's a protocol for a crime scene that uh, people follow, you know, especially with a shooting. 
and uh, I guess he had no clue of any of that to try to fake it. No, and the amount of, re- I mean, they, they uh, you know, notified the cavalry. The cavalry responded on that. I saw the news footage, and there were police cars all over the place and the helicopters, and it was, uh, it was crazy. And uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, he'll get his uh, just, just rewards. You know, he'll lost the job and probably be arrested. Probably. Okay. Pretty amazing. You can't make this stuff up. No. You can't. You, you really can't. Um, you know, one thing that's always in the news now lately, it's like every time you turn on the news or you read a newspaper, something to do with active shootings or mass shootings. It's, it's, it's out of control. It really is out of control. And some of these people are making these false threats to try and gain notoriety. And some of them are serious and have the means to carry them out. Uh, fortunately, uh, law enforcement is thoroughly investigating all these allegations. And they've made some, uh, several arrests in, in recent time. Authorities this weekend announced that they foiled three potential mass shootings after arresting uh, three men in three different states, Connecticut, Ohio, and in Florida. The cases were brought to the attentions of authorities thanks to tips from the public. Authorities this weekend announced that they had foiled the three tips, and in Connecticut, it was a 22-year-old Brandon Wagshaw was arrested after authorities said he expressed an interest in committing a mass shooting on Facebook. According to a statement from the FBI and the Norwalk Police Department, he faces four charges of illegal possession of large-capacity magazines and is being held on $250,000 bond. He's scheduled to appear in court on September 6th. According to the statement, authorities received a tip that Wagshaw was trying to buy large-capacity rifle magazines from out-of-state. As the FBI and Norwalk Police Department were investigating the tip, they discovered Wagshaw was trying to build his own rifle and had allegedly posted on Facebook about his interest in committing a mass shooting. Authorities executed a search warrant at his home and found uh, multiple weapons, including a handgun, rifle, a rifle scope with a laser, numerous rounds of ammunition, body armor, a ballistic helmet, and other tactical gear. Police said some of the weapons belonged to his father, but he had access to it. Uh, you talk about a guy who, if, if he really wanted to uh, cause damage, he definitely had the means and the yeah. intent. And, you know, fortunately for us as law enforcement, these kids nowadays are stupid enough because they're so ingrained that now they're posting all their stuff on social media. So now us and the FBI, we've got a place to go to prove this stuff. Well, it has to be monitored, <clears throat> monitored definitely monitored. You know, unfortunately, it's in the past, people have seen this and ignored it. Yeah, didn't do I, anything. Yeah, I think this this particular one in Connecticut, the, the tips were from the public. Where this guy was looking to buy these high capacity magazines, and that's how it all started. Yes. And then when they did the search warrant, they found out he had high cap bags, he had ammo, he had a vest, um, and they, they were able to do a search warrant. So thank God that they uh, followed through, and it all started out with a tip from the public. You know, I no, nobody is a bigger supporter of the Second Amendment than me. But I don't understand why in the world you need a round magazine that'll hold 100 rounds, and then you gotta have two or three of them. I mean, what are you gonna use those for, except for one thing? And, and I mean, I don't wanna take the guns away from the guys going to go out and shoot all of them all and have that much fun, but do you have to have a big round magazine? You can't just... Well, it's a good point. I mean. Th- 
anybody who who would want something like that and they're going to use it legally, I don't know. I I have I have a, a weapons that have high capacity uh, magazines. I don't have any problem going through um, um, screening and filling out paperwork and uh, let them know where I'm going to use it. But the, some of these people, you know, you don't know um, a, a young kid. <laughs> what is he going to do with it? And then all of a sudden, he's uh, amassing uh, ammo and a vest. You know, there's red flags pop up. You know, uh, you know and it's, it's funny that you say that. The uh, legitimate person who's purchasing firearms, I don't have a problem with the background check, stricter background checks. Before I had gotten my concealed weapons permit, and I think I got that within the last year, I, for whatever reason, I didn't get one. But I, as a police officer, if I wanted to purchase a firearm, I had to go through a waiting period where yeah. Joe the Ragman, if he's got a concealed weapons permit, he can walk in and buy two of these, three of these, four of these. And walk out the and, door. And, and walks out. But me, as a police officer, I, I couldn't do it. And that's the reason why I got a concealed weapons permit. It's not that I have a lot of firearms. But I was like, well, why should I be restricted? Here, I'm a sworn law enforcement officer. I've been a police officer for 30-some-odd years, and, and I have to wait. Makes no sense. Yeah, if somebody went into a, 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 a gun shop where sporting is good and they wanted to buy 500 round magazine, drum magazines, and they asked them, well, what are you going to do with it? I said, oh, I'm going to go hunting. Yeah, everybody would just look at each other and say, something's not right here. Right. So if you say, hey, you know, uh, I want to go I want to go to the range or, or have a legitimate reason, you're going to go to a shoot or something like that um, that's in a controlled environment, no problem. But... These are red flags, and they're starting to, to sh you know, thank God, there was three incidents in three different states where they stopped people. Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. When I f first c came down here, I had to go to the Markham Park Range and qualify. And they had a machine gun shoot going on that night. And I remember standing there waiting to do my qualification with my 9mm, and I thought I was in Beirut. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, all of a sudden, you're standing there, and all of a sudden, bah, 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 bah. and I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what, what the hell is this? What's going on? I mean, the firepower that some of these people have, and you look at some of these people, not knowing them, but you know how you make a, uh, a judgment upon somebody's appearance, and you see some of these people with some of this, these weapons, and you're like, oh. it's, it's kind of scary. It was definitely kind of scary. Now, let's get back to this story. Then in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, Tristan Scott Wicks was arrested in a Winn-Dixie parking lot Friday after he sent his girlfriend a disturbing text in which he allegedly threatened to commit a mass shooting. And this was reported by the Volusia County Sheriff's Office. It was the ex-girlfriend who alerted the authorities. In the messages, the, uh, he said he would wanted to open fire on a large crowd of people. Uh, a good kill would be uh, 100 people, w would be nice. You know, it would be nice to kill 100 people. And he also said he had a location in mind, according to the sheriff's office. He felt the school was a weak target and be more likely to fire upon a large crowd of people from over three miles away. He wanted to break a, a world record for the longest confirmed kill ever, I guess, in mass shootings. Yeah, good luck uh, with that. Absolutely. He also yeah. wrote that he wanted to die. You know, uh, it's just crazy. Great way to get that notoriety. Another guy 
looking for publicity on a tragedy. This guy, as I read the story about it, they said he had a tremendous uh, fascination with these uh, mass shootings. And he didn't have any guns, but he had this fascination. And he wanted to, like you said, to do the longest kill shots. Right. So this is another guy, uh, you know, thank God he didn't have access to uh, to get anything. But uh, the red flags popped up, and they stopped it before anything happened. Well, they recovered a twenty-two caliber rifle and over 400 rounds of ammunition. Um, but even with that, you know, a very well-placed, you know, it, it, the damage that could have been done if the girlfriend didn't come forward, thank God she came forward and alerted the authorities. Well, a is nothing to snap with because that's an assassination round, actually. It does a lot of damage. So, you know, you're right, because people think the twenty-two oh, oh, it's nothing, but when it enters the body, because of the speed it's traveling, it just bounces, yeah. hits everything. From bone to bone to bone, it just tears up everything. Yeah. It'll still kill you, so. Yeah, it's almost it's like a uh, pinball, like a yeah. pin pinball machine, yeah. bouncing off the bumpers. And uh, lastly, in Ohio, there was a 20-year-old who uh, allegedly threatening to uh, carry out a shooting at Youngstown Jewish Community Center. An Instagram account belonging to this uh, gentleman shared a video that showed a man firing a gun. But they weren't sure if it was him in the video, but it showed it. And in the video, the Jewish uh, community center was tagged. So that alerted authorities, thinking that he was going to target this. You know, they identified uh, the Jewish community center from the uh, tagging on the, on the page, on the page. And uh, he signed his name as Seamus uh, O'Riordan, which is a Gaelic version of his name. So the uh, Instagram account contained a, bu a bunch of anti-Semitic comments, white nationalist content, and uh, you know the guy was just uh, also if he was hell bent on causing destruction, he had the means to do it. Yeah, and this guy he he posted this video which set up red flags. They and they got a search warrant and they did get guns and ammo from him too. This is the way of the world, like you say that they they were all posting videos or somewhere on social media, and. Thank God that's how they're getting caught. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a perfect example of see something, say something. You know, when they searched his house, they found the cachet of weapons, you know, and ammunition. So he, he had the means to do it. Um, but thank God they were tipped off. Yeah. In, this, in, this, in these cases, the social media is kind of helping us, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these kids, they can't put this phone down. No. I mean, they, I, I saw a video of a girl. She got in a fist fight with somebody. She kept the phone in her hand and fought with one. You I mean, know, I, they can't. They just, they're so addicted to it now that they're. And this is part of the, the why, you know, they want the attention. If they're, obviously, these people have mental issues. They're thinking of doing these things. And they want to post it to get the attention. So, thank God it's getting stopped before some things, you know, are happening. Absolutely. People are coming forward. You know, when you talk about the phones, I just watched a very disturbing video. It took place in New York City. There was a cab driver who got into a dispute. I think the fare didn't want to pay, and they got into a dispute, and then it turned into a fist fight. And the cabbie was stabbed. And people are standing there filming this. It's, instead of calling 911 or, or trying to intervene, you know, look, I don't expect anybody to jump in to stop a guy with Everybody's a knife. Everybody's got their phone out like this. Absolutely. And this guy was stabbed, and, uh, you know, nobody... Um, did anything they didn't even run the first aid you know finally ems finally showed up sometime later but it was tragic but everybody wants to get that shot that money shot you know i don't know if they're thinking hey we can sell it to tmz it's gotta be that's the way of the world now it was crazy you know? absolutely
And uh, finally, it was announced that the Camden County, New Jersey Police Department is rolling out a new f use of force policy that is more restricted than most others in the state, instructing police to only fire guns and use any other force as a last result. Now, when I, when I read this story, and it's by the, uh, I believe it was the police chief that came out with this policy, yeah, I just scratched my head. It makes you wonder, did, did this guy walk the streets? Yeah, was the policy ever uh, made by somebody who actually went out there and did something or saw something? Because uh, it's an 18-page policy, and I kind of, like, read through it, and you have to be, like, an attorney to decipher it. And it doesn't, would never cover every kind of situation that you could possibly be in. So I don't know how they can <laughs> give this as a tool to use no, it's crazy. You know, police chief said it was, uh, it had at its core the sanctity of human life and should stand as a national model for all other departments in a time when police force is being scrutinized more than ever. The policy is centered on six core principles and details everything from defining passive resistance to a threatening assailant and how to decide what amount of force is appropriate. And here's, here's the best part about this, too. It spells out that the officers are required to intervene and report any use of force by another officer that does not comply with the policy. It says the police, it says that may also uh, use force to accomplish legitimate enforcement objectives, but are you ready for this? But can never use or threaten force just to resolve the situation quicker or to force compliance with a request that isn't strictly for safety or law enforcement reasons. Look, I've been doing this, we, we've all been doing this a very long time, and I can't tell you how many times during the course of enforcement I've threatened somebody. Not, not that I was going to do it, but if the threat of physical force got them to comply and, and stop what they were doing and it, there was a safe resolution where nobody got hurt, what, what's wrong with that? Now, that's the way we would want to do it. And we were talking a little bit about it before, about uh, you know, let's say a knife. If you saw somebody with a machete and you say, hey, if you were too forceful and say, drop that machete, and you scared the guy, maybe he wouldn't want to drop it. If you just walked up and say, hey, drop that machete, let's forget, let's forget about this, and they just throw it on the floor. So you want to de-escalate situations where I could see that you don't want to see, all right, somebody's holding a, a knife or a machete or an axe or something, and you immediately want to uh, take them out. There's, of course you would want to try to do it first, but then, then again, there's situations where you have no time. We're all talking about it where uh, there's also many training um, films and procedures where somebody from 25 feet away can get a knife and stick it in your neck in two seconds. Oh, absolutely. And, and not even that. Um, there was a case years ago where it was a mentally ill person who was brandishing a knife and lunging at the police officer. And it was probably from 20 feet away, and the officer opened up. I mean, shot this guy five times in the chest. But from the momentum that this guy was moving, he was still still stabbed the police officer in the heart and killed him. So, yeah. So where where is your eighteen page policy coming for that? And, you know, no, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, we all go through a certain amount of training, and we know when we should and when we shouldn't. Some of it is common sense, but some things you just—it's hard to uh, put time frames on things. You just, everything is, is, is different, especially when you're dealing with armed, mentally ill people, because they're not rational. No, not at all. You know, and this thing, uh, 
Also in New Jersey, there's the uh, California Governor Newsom also signed a police use of force bill. And the new law says police can use deadly force only when necessary to defend against imminent threat of death or serious injury to officers or bystanders. Well, hasn't, hasn't that always been the rule? As far as I know, wait, it says it also prohibits police from shooting at fleeing felons who don't pose an immediate danger. Now, that's exactly what I was taught in the police academy. You use deadly force to protect yourself, an innocent bystander, uh, possibly to st stop an arson in certain circumstances. And the fleeing felon rule was only if that person you believed, he, you know, let's say he was a guy who was a serial killer. And you believed, you know, he, he was escaping, and if you didn't stop him, he would go out and commit the crime again. You know, that was the fleeing felon rule. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't, the only way you could shoot him if they were fleeing is if he was such a danger that if he escaped into the community, other people would get seriously injured, and you had to stop him right then. So if you've got the judgment to decide that and make that decision, then like you said, everything's different. And we've been cops for how long now? And... Just when you think you saw it all. I, I was a cop for 41 years. Oh, man, I've seen it all. Something comes up and you go, damn, I guess I haven't seen it all. It's yeah. always different. And you, he, these, a lot of these politicians are just doing this just to appease the people, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, this one from California, it's been the policy from day one. That's been the policy. You know, you don't just shoot people, uh, randomly shoot people and kill them. It's as a last resort. You know, you know, when was this never not the case? You know, when was this policy never in effect? This guy just didn't invent this. Yeah. You know. That so is true. It's like reinventing the wheel. Uh, there's a uh, famous quote that I want, uh, I want to read. It says, uh, the police should use physical force to the extent necessary to secure observance of the law or to restore order only when the exercise of persuasion, advice, and warning is found to be insufficient to achieve police objectives. And police should use only the minimum degree of physical force, which is necessary on any particular occasion for achieving, achieving that objective. That was written by Sir Robert Peel back in 1829. Still makes sense okay. today. In 1829, and for those who don't know who he is, uh, Robert Peel was considered the father of modern policing. In 1829, he established the London Metropolitan Police Force. Peel's goal at the time was to have a police force that could not be bribed and to make them visible and respected members of society in order to prevent crime. You know, this was back in 1829. When I went through the academy in 1984, it was the same thing. You know, they, it was the same principles. When you went back in the academy, uh, did they have electricity? <laughs> no, but we patrolled on horses in those days. So. But, you know, uh, you know, Florida has a law that says that if you're a law enforcement officer, you don't have to back down right, you don't have from to making retreat. an arrest. Right. You never have to retreat. You can go forward and make that lawful arrest. But, of course, nowadays, if you did that, you'd probably be in trouble. That's what they're kind of forcing the police to do. Uh, you know, and well, that, it's... That's great, and we're going to get into that because that goes to the uh, Daniel Pantaleo, okay, and, and the repercussions of, of what happened with that. And we're going to get into that um, in a minute. But um, you know, it's just it's mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling. You know, in, in the police academy, we're taught about deadly force, 
towards particular your life, someone else's, uh, you know, like I said, to stop arson and the fleeing felon rule. So it's nothing, you know, these guys, I think they're reinventing the wheel, but it's not. It's, it's old school. Like you said, the, the statement that you read, common sense hasn't changed. Mm. Nope. You know, when we talk about these stories about uh, when officers shoot their guns or, or not shoot their guns, instead of uh, they, their own discretion, I can't help but wonder what the effect is going to be. Is it going to cause somebody to hesitate? And, and at that point, th- and the big thing with me is hesitation. If you hesitate for one second, you might not be going home. Absolutely. You know, and, and the same thing, too, if you hesitate when force is being used against somebody else and you hesitate, they might not be going home, you know, when it comes time to stop an attack. And, and that could be a civilian or anybody. And it's like you were talking earlier when we talked about once you see that green light in your head, green you know light. it's time. Yep. This, this, you know, this Officer Pantaleo making an arrest for Lucy Cigarettes. You know, when you, when you have, you're committing to effect an arrest, you follow through to do it to the end, however, whatever you have to do to make it happen. And uh, that that was the situation with, with him. You know, a lot of people, oh, it's just Lucy's. Or just, you know, what do you do? Let him go? We don't do that. That's not what you do. No, we're the police. We, we enforce <laughs> no, the law. But even in a minor case, if he starts to resist, then you don't have a choice. You have to go all the way with it. But, you know, with this Pantaleo firing... Um, you know, I used to teach martial arts and all that, but I watched that video several times, and that was not a chokehold that he put on that guy. First of all, the guy was 300-something pounds. His neck was so big. His arm didn't even go all the way around his neck to where he could choke him. Yeah, no, he came, and f- the first move was underneath his arm. So yeah, he- and, 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 you know, if someone's choking in a restaurant, if they can talk, they can breathe. Right. If they can't talk, they're not, and what was this guy saying? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah, so if you're it, speaking, there's an airflow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And which brings us to uh, the Pantaleo subject. You know, last week, uh, Commissioner O'Neill fired him in regard to the death of Eric Garner. And Pantaleo was found not guilty in the grand jury in the Department of Justice. Um, Mayor de Blasio obviously was not happy with the agreement and uh, very outspoken about calls for justice. You know, ju- justice will be served. Justice will be served. And uh, w- with what appears to be bowing to political pressure and outcry from a cr- community, Commissioner O'Neill fired him. And, um, you know, it's just a shame. Here's a guy who, who did his job, and it's a tragedy. Eric Garner's death is a tragedy, and it never should have happened. Never should have happened. There was no reason for it. But he, he was... Th- accident. Yeah, and he was the contributor to his own death. He was, you know, that, that, that's what happens too. You're not in good health. Uh, you resist. And that's, it can happen. And if it's such a minor crime, why not just go along with it? You, you, know, you know what, Carrie, it, it doesn't even matter. Minor crime, major crime. You, you're being told you're under arrest. Okay, at that point, I'm making it, you're under arrest. That's, that's my authority. I'm, I'm announcing my authority to place you under arrest. If you don't comply, I have to make that arrest, and I'm going to use the minimum amount of force necessary, and that's what we're taught in the police academy. You use the minimum amount of force necessary to effect that arrest. If he would have just put his hands behind his back, he would have had his day in court, 
and none of this, we wouldn't be having this discussion. No, and he'd be here today. Right. You know, <clears throat> some of the repercussions of this decision, you have the DEA, the SBA, and the PBA. You know, they're instructing police officers, call a supervisor, pretty much to call a supervisor for everything. If you're at the scene and somebody's combative and they don't want to be arrested, call a supervisor. You know, always make sure you have backup um, for an arrest situation, but they're even telling officers now, have backup for everything. And I remember going through this back in the 90s too, I forget what the incident was, but get backup. You, you go into something, get backup. Call a supervisor. Do everything by the numbers of the patrol guy. This way you can't get in trouble. Absolutely. That's what they want you to do now. That's what you have to do now if you, uh, you know, want to cover yourself. And uh, you think this is going to have, uh, um, you know, young cops hesitate to put their hands on people? Mm -hmm. Of course. Right. And the chief, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was the department, said don't hesitate when making an arrest. And you, and that's the problem. If you hesitate when making an arrest, that's how you can get hurt. Absolutely. But I understand also the hesitation where, okay, well, now if I put my hands on somebody, am I at risk for losing my job? You know, how are they going to come back at me? What, what, what am I going to give up? What is my family going to lose because I made an arrest? Well, you know what you have to do as a police officer nowadays, as well, in the old days even, but you have to be able to write your report and detail the escalation and how the perp escalated everything instead of you. Mm -hmm. So when I approached a person, I was in a marked sheriff's office vehicle. When I walked out of my car, approached a person, I was, and I had to do this at the airport because I was in a uh, uniform of a Broward Sheriff's deputy with a star on. And then you had to go on further and further where I told the suspect to do this, he said no. I told him to do that, he said no. And then it just goes to the point where you end up making an arrest, but you have to lay all that stuff out now when you shouldn't have to. And I did that with the uniform stuff because People would say at the airport, well, I thought he was a security guard. I, mean, I was just going to mention right? that. People say at the airport, oh, are you a security guard? Oh, oh you're, are you a real police officer <laughs> or a real deputy sheriff? Yeah, when I put these cuffs on you, you'll know. <laughs> you know, and what you have to wonder is with this Pantaleo thing, how is this going to affect policing? And what is it going to do to the crime rate? I mean, you know, things have been good in New York City, but now they say arrests are done, uh, down. Arrested down, guys are not being proactive. You know, a seasoned cop will tell a young guy, you got to be crazy if you're proactive today. Let me, let me ask Dean something. When you were a cop, would anybody have ever walked up and poured a gallon <laughs> or two of water over your head? Never. And if they would have, uh, you, you, it probably would have been Katie bar the door for them. You, you're going to be arrested. I mean, uh, that's assault on me. That's, uh, you know, damaging my equipment. Uh, your, your firearm is getting wet. Your vest is getting wet. I mean, I could, I could think of 10 or 15 charges. But even me as a regular person and a, in a, as a civilian, I wouldn't let somebody come up and just dump water on me. Nobody I, would. I, I would. I would, would want to protect myself. Um, I wouldn't do it to somebody else. Uh, you know, it's a respect thing. You know, it's funny because when, when you talk about the old days, you know, th things were different all the way around. There was a lot more respect for the police in the old days. Um, but in the old days, too, police took care of business. You know, if you verbally abused the cop, you would definitely, you were most likely getting arrested. And then if you dumped water on a cop, a lot of times there would be two stops before you went to, you know, one stop before you went to jail. And you went to the hospital, right. and then, the hospital, then yeah. you're going to go get to central booking. Yeah.
Absolutely. Well, you know, in the old days when the cops used to, in New York City, tell the kids, hey, off the curb, off the curb, Johnny, come on, move along. You moved. Those kids they, moved they along. Moved. My father-in-law told me when the cops came and said, you boys go home, boop, we got up and went home. Yeah, look, we, I, didn't, we didn't look at him and say, who are you talking to, man? No, I, yeah. I remember <laughs> being a teenager and uh, hang, hanging out with my friends on the corner and police officers come walking by. He didn't have to say anything. He just looked at us and we left. And you wouldn't tell your parents that the cops chased me because they would beat you up the second time. Yeah, you know. But it's it's different. It's, it's, I think the upbringing is different now. And you no, know, you you got to give respect to get respect. And they, we didn't go out and and hassle people for no reason. Um, if I was called there to do something, uh, we, we would take care of it. Um, but just you know. Somebody came up for no reason and dumped water on me, and then you could get into the whole thing that we talked discussed before. You don't know if it's water. If if it continued, there's going to be bleach, acid, uh, you know, urine. Who knows? It's endless. Look, you know, the attacks on on police. It's nothing new. It's been going on since day one. <coughs> you know, from water to bottles to bricks, and buckets of cement. Back in 1993, there was a housing police officer, and uh, he had a bucket of pla it was actually a bucket of plastic very similar to this man dumped on his you know dropped on his head from the roof because they were doing traffic enforcement they were towing vehicles so um one of the guys who was upset with it went up to the roof and dropped a bucket of cement or plaster on his head and, and killed, killed him the guy. yeah just just the guy was doing his job they were doing enforcement this was a guy who was unhappy dropped dropped a bucket on his head you know the penalties have to be much more severe than they are now you know, they really do. You know, getting back to the um, the attacks on the Pantaleo and all that, and the water attacks. Uh, Patrick Lynch, the the president of the PBA, is calling it the end result of a torrent of bad policies and anti-policing rhetoric that has been streaming out of City Hall in Albany for years. They're approaching the point of uh, no return. And, uh, you know, disorder controls the streets, and our elected officials refuse to take uh, action and allow the cops to take the streets back. You know, and, and that's, you got to take the streets back for, for, for the public citizens, the, the normal everyday people. I think they have a uh, vote of no confidence against the mayor there from the PBA where they want to have him uh, removed from office. Um, would like to see what, if that'll happen or not. <laughs> It'll be interesting. You know, he also says police officers, they need to draw the uh, line in situations like this to protect the public and ourselves. Um, you know, the politicians may not care, but the dangerous levels of chaos in the neighborhoods is, is to the people and, and to the police. It, it's out of control. Yeah, but the people that live in those neighborhoods care because they don't want them. They're victims. Absolutely. It's, it's not going to get better. I mean, it's the good people that are trying to raise their kids and trying to do the right thing but can't afford to move to a better neighborhood... They're living that crime. And, and here's what happens. So if stop you, going after the cops and back up the good people. And when you people see you can attack the cops, what hope is there for them? You know, exactly. Yeah, what are they going to do? Right, you're attacking a guy in a full uniform with a, with a gun and a shield and, and mace and a taser and God knows whatever else he's and got on his belt. And the authority to take your freedom away. Yeah. You know, Dean, an organization that I know is uh, very dear, dear to your heart, Brothers Before Others, also made a statement. Uh, in regard to the everything that's going on with the uh, city between Pantaleo and the water bottles. And uh, it says, uh, make no mistake, these officers were only protecting their livelihoods by not attempting to take the necessary and needed police action in the current city of New York atmosphere 
and command structure. We expect nothing less from the shell of a cop who is now at best described as a puppet, Commissioner James O'Neill. However, uniform leadership like the Chief of Department Terrence Monaghan and Chief of Patrol Rodney Harrison, these, these are your men and women who now simply walk away as victims of aggravated assault because of your cowardice leadership and lack of command support. They said, we also praise the work of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association and the Sergeant's Association for calling out the Mayor and Police Commissioner for their lackluster leadership, Brothers Before Others stands with them. For those who question these officers' actions, we can agree that honor has no price tag. What needed to be done regardless of gutless supervision and a weighted system still should have been done, but bear with us here. These thugs who attacked these officers had the willingness and perception that they could assault uniformed officers in broad daylight and had these officers appropriately defended themselves and attempted to arrest these individuals, they would have resisted necessitating force. Necessitating force. Then the media would have betrayed these officers as aggressive because it was only water. The mayor would have, condem would have condemned the officer's judgment, having never worn a uniform, as being overzealous. Brothers Before Others points out that the leadership failed from the top down and it's leading to complete lawlessness. The district attorney would have dropped all charges and the civilian and civil complaints would have run rampant in the search for the NYPD lotto payday. Sue the police. Everybody wants to collect. Sue the city and they'll pay you too. Oh, yes. 5000 10000 Yeah. All, all the while, the NYPD leadership would have remained silent. We at Brothers Before Others will always live up to our mission, whereby taking care of each other, as a, as a result, we will be better able to care for the public we serve. These videos are a travesty, but a true picture of the decline of modern-day society within the city of New York under Mayor William de Blasio. This is a guy who wants to run for president and, and lead a country. Imagine that. No, scary. Very scary. Sure is. You know, what's going on, it's, uh, this is probably, I would imagine morale in the New York City Police Department is at its it's lowest point. Right I've now. heard that it's as low as it's ever been. Low as it's ever been. What could make you want to go to work uh, where you're not appreciated, your hands are tied, you're not backed up by uh, the, the, uh, the chiefs and, and the mayor? What's the motive to go to work and do a good job? You know, it's, it's sad because police hiring is down throughout the states now. You know, it was recently news. I saw something in the paper. Police hiring is down. You know, and you know, it's a great job benefits and a retirement. But uh, you know, I, I look at these kids getting into law enforcement now, and I say, you, you really have to think twice. You really have to think twice about what you're doing. I hope that'll turn around, and you know, uh, these the it, it, the city is going to get so bad that they're, they're going to have to do something. Uh, you know, the PBA statement there, um, you know, to ask for the removal of the mayor. Um, let's see what happens with it. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's not going to get any better there. You have to support your police department. Well, how, about, how about this? The, uh, <clears throat> I think it was the mayor of Seattle or Portland, one of the two, where the Antifa protesters were beating the hell out of that guy. And the... Uh, Asian journalist he was a conservative guy and the mayor told the cops to stand down and the cops just stood there and watched this guy get beat up 
wait a minute, that, that's not what you're hired to do. You're, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to protect people like that. Absolutely. Get dry, go in there and save the guy. Take a bunch of you, go in there, they'll run. Take the. Sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. And just like in Baltimore, you know, the Baltimore mayor told the cops the same thing during the riot. Stand down. They let them burn the town down practically. Now you have I to mean, rebuild. This is, a, this is the new attitude now, you know. Uh, Gary, I, I want to let you know uh, I'm making a concerted effort to say our guest. Oh, thank you, Rob. And uh, if, I, if I screw up, if I don't say it, please feel free to correct me. It makes me feel <laughs> so much better. Okay. I just want to let you know that. Um, I want to get into our next topic, but be, before we do, we have a, a call from uh, from New York. So I'm just going to take this call and, and say hello to somebody who, who I believe I might know. Hello, uh, John McCarthy. You're on the air with Observations. Yes, sir. How are you? How are you, yes, my friend? How are you? I very good. Very good. I was going to make a joke about owing some DD5s to me, but it's been well, a long time. Well, I, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> you know, I, I saw your name on here. And when, when I saw the name, I said to my co-host and my guest, Dean, I said, he's probably going to tell me I owe him some DD5s. <laughs> so... Yeah. You didn't disappoint <laughs> me. I, told, uh, I know exactly. Well, so, uh, Brian Lavin, I see Sergeant Lavin, your former sergeant, also. He was talk- we were talking about the show the other day, and he said, "Yeah, we got to call him up when you chance to call up, say hello." Well, show, I, so I'm, I'm glad you cool. did. You know, people are wondering uh, what what the heck's a DD five, and for people that don't know, a DD five is a uh, complaint oh. follow up from the uh, detective squad from the New York City Police Department. I think right. I, I probably paperwork, do owe you paperwork. Paperwork. <laughs> That's right. How how long are you so, retired now? Uh, I'm out 18 years. Now. God. I'm out 18 years. Yes, I got out 2001. Got out yeah, just in time. August 31st, 2001. Yeah, and I, and I went to work for the park, New York State Park Police, for a couple of years after that, and then uh, then I'm into private yeah private security and in the Garment District of Manhattan. So you're dealing with the again the police officers having a morale problem uh it's been going on for a while uh they reduced they took away all the they decriminalized every law in new york where it is they didn't even have to give their name for a summons now for you know public urination uh smoking weed just got decriminalized this wednesday they, they can have weed it's it's just that the conditions are just getting worse and more slow it's a it's slowly happening but it's getting worse and worse here and you call the officers, there's nothing we can do. And that's the answer you get. That, that, that's, uh, that's the standard answer now. There's nothing you know, we can do. And that's it. You let the guy lay in the street, nothing we can do. So it's getting frustrating. But uh, hopefully... Hopefully the pen- pendulum will swing back and things will get better. But it's, uh, you know, things... When, when did you start, John? When, when did you start your career? I started 81. Okay, so we started yeah, a few years before me. Yeah, I, I came on in '84. Right. Yeah, I was in, uh, I was in, yeah, I was in Brooklyn North, and then I went up to the two three, up in Spanish Harlem, and then uh, uh, well, I was with you. I was a lieutenant, you know. Then I went to the Brooklyn. I retired from the Brooklyn Robbery Squad after uh, the six so, Right. So, uh, so that was that. But uh, uh, we and again, when the CompStats, which is the rep- uh, crime fighting uh, meetings, where it went from. Being vicious, I mean, to the point of you didn't you didn't reduce crime. You were transferred before you got back to your command. Sometimes, 
And remember how my mood was if I had Comset a couple of days before. <laughs> yes. Was, was don't go talk to him. <laughs> don't don't talk to me because I'm busy just trying to you know memorize and get my stuff together. You know, but it's funny when you work. When you mentioned Comstat, do you remember uh, you know when uh, was it Anthony Descala was in the, there in the squad? Yeah. I remember when Comstat was coming up, he used to drink, uh, literally drink from a bottle of Pepto Bismol. <laughs> because his nerves from Comstat were crazy. And uh, Rick Pinkus, too, I remember when the Comstat meetings were coming up, he looked so disheveled. His, his hair would be messy, just from the nerves, what they used to put you guys through. The Scallop is a, um, he's a librarian now, the New York Public Library. He works as a librarian, New York Public Library. That's quite a job. He switched uh, careers. He yes. needed de-stressing, so, yeah, apparently. He was, uh, yeah, yeah, but he, yeah, he is. But he was—he—he—he he, he was a good guy, though. He very, uh, very good person. Yeah, so, uh, very good. I, I uh, keep in touch with him every once in a while. Oh, dear, okay, yeah. I yeah. saw—I saw him last week actually on the street, by the looks. I'm in the garment district, so I saw him by the library. But he did. Uh, Comstats bothered him. <laughs> <laughs> I think they bothered everybody. People don't realize what we're talking about. These were very intensive crime. I know. Uh, crime reporting meetings with the chief of department down, and they they did, they held they held nothing back. Uh, and if you came in unprepared, you were uh, crucified. Your career could have been, you know, real real back. quick on that. Um, they had they had it down here. It's called Power Track. And the difference between Power Track and Comstat is, and I told people when I came down here, in Comstat, if a police officer or a detective was called into Comstat, it was to give him kudos, congratulate him. It was some type of success story. Um, you know, anything right. that anything that went bad fell on the shoulders of the bosses, whether it's the sergeants, lieutenants, or captains, but never yeah, on the well, police. That's the way you go. It should be. Right. Praise well, the troops and, you know. Well, it wasn't like that here. It wasn't like that here. They would, you yeah, know, they no. would bring in deputies and uh, no, nobody was safe from uh, getting a scalding. You know? No, not, not, it was more than a scalding. But now it's a little more, they're not as um, uh, aggressive because they're not as aggressive for what they want. Uh, they've changed the broken uh, the glass policy to uh, uh, it's just changing. They, they, they do nothing. You know, keep, see no evil, hear no evil. You know, keep your eyes closed. Yeah, be and, careful uh, what you wish for. Best. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. It. Well, the, uh, you know, I just feel uh, the officers out there got to feel supported by everybody, and the, the silent majority supports them, and that's that's who you don't hear from guys like us or guys retired or even the public. And even most of the people in these neighborhoods, as you said before, people who didn't have the money to get out of those neighborhoods, they still support the police. They yep. just don't go out and say it. Right. But they're supporting the police. Yep. They're not, most of the people don't have contact with the police. Because everybody remembers the one time they had contact with the police, usually not a good situation if you had the police in your house. So mm-hmm. that's, most people don't have that problem. They just, they just are in their situation, and they count on the police to come in and help them as much as possible, you know. Uh, uh, and we still do that. I think the officers still do that. I don't think they're holding back on those jobs. They're not no. holding back on the service jobs. No, it's the, uh, the nonsense jobs. The, uh, the more, it's the nonsense. You know, there's a lot of them. They're, those jobs are just the alarm. It's just they're doing it by the numbers. Instead, they used to take four jobs. I'll handle those. Central, give me the next four jobs. They'll just say, no, give me the. I'll take one at a time. Right. You know, by by the by the numbers instead of just, and guys who make the job work for everybody. But now they just, you know, it's not really slow down. It's just we're going by procedure. We you know, slow down. You know, John. Uh, this is Gary. Um, right after nine eleven, we were heroes. By going to a restaurant, people paid for our tab. They wouldn't even let us know who did it. Now we're zeros. So 
we're right back down to where we're nobodies, and now they're going after the cops like there's no tomorrow. Well, it's it's just to break down what they want. The uh, the, the uh, certain members here want to break us down, uh, just break us down and break it down. Break. We're the first defense for society to help, you know, to help with with everything. And the, the trend that seems to be just to uh, make us alienate us from everybody and then and, and get us out of the way. The, back to the Patel case, he he just you know it was uh, as you said before. Uh, as, a, as a martial arts person, there was no chokehold there. There was taking a man three times the size of the officer, trying to bring a, an unhealthy person to the point of, you know, you touched him, he would have probably had an incident. And, you know, no one wants to see anybody get hurt or killed, no matter what, what the crime is. Right. But that was not at the point of uh, uh, national attention for that case. And uh, the city just caved, the mayor caved, everybody caved, and using him as an example was terrible. Absolutely, terrible, and terrible for that officer, uh, with his family, five years, and everything else. And the old answer, oh, he'll soon get the, he'll get the job, he'll get his money back in five years. That's the, that's what they're thinking at headquarters. Yeah, right. he'll be oh, broke he'll though. Get his, uh, he'll win. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. They got to go fund me thing going, but hopefully that works for him. Yeah, I've, I've uh, mentioned that on a prior easy. episode. They have to go fund me, fund me for uh, Officer Pantaleo. Right. And, and now, sure the now right they're trying to. Now they're trying to stop him from being able to make a living because they're saying, well, if he's going to go out on Long Island or somewhere else and get a job as a cop, we don't even want that to happen. So he can't even feed his family. They just want to break him right down to nothing. Well, that would be up to it. I guess the, 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 the department, if he goes to another department, that will hire you either laterally or which is tough. I mean, Florida would do it, I think, and New York used to do it. The guys used to go down and just take the... The, uh, the certification for police officers, yeah. and you can go to different departments. Yeah, com compatible compliance. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Exactly, and it would depend, I guess, on the chief and their policies. You know, on bringing a guy over like that. But of course, somebody would come up and, and make a highlight. Oh, look where he is now. Absolutely. You know? Yep. They always do. Uh, all sorts of problems with the department, and you know, for the local politician, even if they supported him, it would be tough. Gotcha. You know, he might have to just stay in prayer. You know, I would hope maybe, do, I hope he goes where he can go and, and, and make a living and make a good living, you know, get his side of the story out. Because you haven't heard from him. No, uh, not, not at all. You, know, uh, you haven't heard him. You haven't heard uh, uh, the other officers involved in these uh, outrageous events against him. You don't hear from them. They're not going to go out and be on the corner saying, here's what I did. They, they keep it quiet and they just move on with their life. So it's tough, I tell you. It's, it's, it's very tough now, as I said as we talked about the old days, I mean, we were still under strict rules in the old days. We couldn't go out. You know, it, we still came in after NAP commission and all the corruption. Sure. We all, we all were under those, under those, you know, everybody had the old days. You know, my grandfather had the old days. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yeah, hey, it, it John, back and back. I want to thank you so yeah. much uh, for calling in. I really appreciate it. I will no get problem, those, okay. I, I will get those DD5s to you. Uh, <laughs> Sometime. Thank you very much. Just watch the weather. Help you stay dry down there. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're we're bracing for the much. worst. And uh, if you speak to okay, very good. if you speak to Brian, give him my regards, please. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll see him to probably tomorrow. All very right. good. Great talking All to right. you. Thanks, Thank you guys. Nice talk to everybody. Thank Take care. Take care now. Bye bye. That was uh, my old lieutenant back in New York. Great guy. Great guy. One, one of the good guys. You know. There's a lot of good guys. Yeah, that's that's what makes the. Uh, job fun absolutely and uh let's get back on track you know tonight i want to talk about the dangers of uh traffic stops and vehicle pursuits you know 
And it's funny because they're as unpredictable as the weather in South Florida, and that's exactly what we're going through now. You know, nobody knows are we going to get hit with this cone of death, or is it going to bypass us? <laughs> is it going to go north, or we'll wait and see. No, and, and the car stops and vehicle suits are like that, too. Um, it's one of the most dangerous things that we do as police officers, and not only dangerous for us, but in the vehicle pursuits, it's also dangerous for the general public. And we never know what the outcome's gonna be, you know. We may think we're pulling someone over for a minor traffic infraction. In reality, you're stopping somebody that just killed three people, uh, or they're wanted on a warrant and decided, hey, I'm not going back to jail. You know, we're, we're behind the eight ball on that, where we have to react and have to be, hopefully we're ready for whichever way it uh, turns out. You know, the other day I posted a uh, video on the uh, Fans of Conversations Facebook from a uh, incident in 1998 where near the end of his shift, Deputy Kyle Wayne Dinkheller of the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office in the uh, state of Georgia pulled over a motorist for speeding. A verbal confrontation ensued and it escalated into a shootout resulting in the deputy being murdered, Deputy Dinkeller. Um, what we're going to do is now we're going to show you a uh, brief video that's going to show people just how frequently this happens. I don't know, it, it may be graphic, um, but it just gives you a touch. I said I wanted to make this a personal, give people a personal glimpse of the things that we go through, and this is one of those instances. So uh, please watch the video. Just fire! Just fire! Jesus! Just fire, County! Step back here to me. Come on back here for me. Come on back. Sir. Come here. Sir, come here. 
37 Radio 1078. Come here, sir. Sir, get back. What are you calling, mother? Sir, get back. Now, get back. Get back. Sir, get back now. No. Get back. Fuck you. Sir, get back. No. I'm done now. Get back, sir. Sir, get back. Sir, I am a goddamn Vietnam combat Get back. And I am not sir. Fuck you! Sir, get back now! Get back! Get back! Get back now! 1078, Radio 1018! I am doing my life! Get back here now! Get to where you're going Put the gun down! Well, I got me out the gun! I need help! Put the gun down! Put it down! Drop the gun now! Those videos are just a few examples of the things that police officers do when they're involved in vehicle stops. We never know what's going to happen. Um, like I said, we may think we're pulling somebody off for speeding or a minor infraction, then it turns into something, you know, really crazy. It also posted a story out of New Jersey in which an off-duty corrections officer was killed due to a high-speed police chase when the suspect's vehicle slammed into the back of his vehicle and, and killed him. Uh, these are just two incidents that highlight the dangers involved with both vehicle stops and vehicle pursuits. We never know what the outcome is. And uh, that, that's a reason, too, for, I guess, the, a lot of the policy changes. You know, the vehicle pursuits, the stopping, when you can chase, when you can't chase. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. It's, just, it's really unfortunate when the general public is hurt because of something like this. Yeah. Now, I know in New York, and I don't know about down here in Florida, but I'm sure you remember, Rob, that they didn't want us chasing cars for any reason at all. Um, they want, if you put over a car pursuit, uh, didn't ask what it was for, usually the supervisor would terminate it right away. Right. Well, many times the seasoned cops be included. Uh, we'd never put anything over. Um, and you would try to stop it as fast as you could and not let it go on far. You know, the city... Uh, if, if it ever made it to a highway, it went a long way. So usually it would only last a couple of blocks, but you never wanted someone to crash, to, to hit people, or k kill themselves. You know, it, I remember chasing uh, people and uh, drunk drivers. You know, it's bad. You know, uh, we didn't know what we chased them for. When a guy would crash into a curb and we could see that he was drunk, you know, you don't want to push those guys too far because they're not, they're, they're, their actions are not predictable, and uh, you know, nobody. You don't want someone to get run over for for that reason. So uh, you never know, though. You just never, never know. Um, uh, you want me to talk about the uh, incident there? Well, we're gonna get, get, get into that uh, in a little bit. Um, you know, there was just recently something, too, that I had seen. I think it was North Carolina. There was another fatality also involved in a police chase recent, recently. Um, 
know, it's just dangerous for everybody, everybody involved, you know. Um, and these high-speed chases responding at a fast rate of speed, you know, we just had an officer killed in Broward County a few weeks ago responding to a call of lights and sirens, and uh, fortunately he was killed in the line of duty, and the driver that was involved in the accident was uh, later arrested, determined to be drunk at the time. There you go. That's, uh, that's what happens there. Um, it's something that you don't want it to go that far. If the people are uh, they're not coherent. They're the, you know, innocent bystanders who get hurt, killed. You don't, you don't want that to happen. But, um, you know, even like a stolen car, this, uh, you know, we'll get the car when it's parked. You know, let them go. Um, but you don't know. So sometimes it's hard to make that decision. Where was where was that um, police chase where the shots were fired? They tried to hit police officers. This was just in the news. We spoke about it earlier. They almost hit a police officer, and then the police pursued, and then there were shots fired at the police, and then the chase was terminated. Well, usually I remember New York. Well, once. that was just that was just recently. Really? Yeah. And they terminated. They terminated. Usually, I think it, was, it may have been Baltimore. If there's ever was, I re, if I remember right, if there was ever shots fired, then you're going to pursue. Absolutely. And it, it's it, then they're going to stop it. And they're not going to let the guy go. <laughs> no, I, I believe it was Baltimore. Um, it was police officer was almost struck. Hey, Gary. <laughs> police officer was almost struck uh, by a car. And then there was a pursuit. And then the vehicle that they were pursuing fired shots at the police. So, you know, yeah, anytime there were shots fired at a police officer, all bets were off. Because if you don't apprehend this guy... Yeah, you, he may you, kill a cop you, it's a, an it's hour a, later. It's a more dangerous uh, um, threat to the public. Right. Know. If you're going to shoot at a cop, you'll sh- shoot at anybody. Absolutely. You know, you know and that was, um, you know, it's funny when you said years ago, I, you know, I remember while I was working, I had friends that w- went over the radio. You know, you said seasoned cops. A- another thing they used to do, too, so the chase wouldn't be, I, I used to hear this over the radio, they're tossing guns out the window. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. So they wouldn't terminate so they wouldn't turn the, the, chase. The, the, the the pursuit. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I had friends. I remember listening to them. They were following closely. Following closely, and you hear Tari is screeching in the background. Right, and every time uh, you know, and they give the next location. It's it's like fifteen blocks away within seconds. Yes, <laughs> but we're we're not in pursuit. We're following closely. Well, right. you know, nowadays though, that there's a lot of. Uh, like you said, terminating the pursuits with and and that's with good reason because you don't want to chase some guy that run a stop sign or even a stolen car nowadays because when you arrest them, they don't do anything to them anyway for a stolen car. Oh, it was a joke. And, in and New York. people don't look yeah. at it as a crime because they hey, a guy's got insurance, so what? But here's one I was just reading here. Uh, Lauder Hill PD was chasing a stolen car. Three counties, three counties, they chased this stolen car. A highway patrolman came up, on, came up, rolled up on it, and said, "That's Lauder Hill PD." What the trooper just saw was that on August 10th, the crash of a cruiser and a Harley Davidson motorcycle, which fatally injured the motorcyclist. So, you know, when when I was a young cop and they told us to terminate these pursuits, I was like, "Oh man, that's not right. We got to catch all these guys. We can't let them get away with running from us." But you know what? I saw one where a whole family in a in a minivan got killed. Because some guy was running from the cops and it was for almost nothing. Right. So, no, yeah, that, you know, if that was your family in that minivan. Absolutely. You, you got to look at it like that, too, you know. But then what are you going to do when you get a guy that shoots a cop or robs a bank and shoots two people? 
Then you got to chase that guy till the wheels fall off. Right. It, it depends on the severity of the car. You know, certain things you just. And that's what I was looking up just now. I was reading on my phone. That's okay. When you chased them, that was on horseback, right? Yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, they weren't high-speed pursuit. But. That's another thing now. That, you know, there's cameras everywhere. No one's getting that far. They have uh, helicopters Absolutely. are up right now with chases and stuff. And I remember years ago, we didn't have. You you would call you know aviation to come, but. Sometimes you just couldn't see them where they didn't have the technology back then to follow the uh, the cars like they do now. No, and what they don't, you, you know, when you mention technology, the advances that have been made in, in police work with technology, it's amazing. I know they were, um, there's some type of harness that they were experimenting with one of the departments. where like a net that they shoot out and, and go grab the tire. The, goes around the axles and the, 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 it disables the car. Right. There was also something years ago that I remember um, they were expecting with where it was something that would... Uh, be fired from the police vehicle that would attach to the suspect vehicle that would allow the vehicle to be tracked. And I don't know if anything ever happened with that, but I remember reading about it years ago, which kind of sounds really interesting. Well, they have the stop sticks now. Yeah. But they're pretty dangerous to deploy them. They had actually a couple of... PBSO uh, guys. Two deputies here in Palm Beach County got killed uh, by accidentally getting hit by a police car. Right. And more often than not, it's the and police cars. And it was on cars. a dark highway in defense of the cop. The right. cop. And more often than not, it's police vehicles that go over the stop sticks. You know, yeah, a lot of too. times. So, you know, th there's another incident that I wanted to uh, briefly talk about. It was back in uh, West Memphis. This involved sovereign citizens, and it's a long, drawn-out story. And I'm not get, getting into the whole thing, but it's a perfect example of not knowing what you're getting into. They were doing um, drug interdiction stops, and there was a vehicle without a plate stops, and this officer had stopped the vehicle. And his backup arrived, and they were talking to the, the driver of the vehicle, who was the guy Kane. He was in the car with his son, who was 16 at the time. And when the uh, first officer went to frisk him, a little struggle ensued. And at that point, Kane's 16-year-old son exited the vehicle with an AK-47 and just opened up on, on both of them. And uh, both officers wound up being killed, and both Canes opened up on fire, and it was numerous shots. I mean, it, w it was absolutely insane. I saw the video during training, and if the car was later stopped, and again, a second shootout, it, you know, uh, occurred, and the same thing, the AK-47s were out, and these guys were sovereign citizens, so that's another thing. You, know, you come across these people that have t total disregard for, for anything, the law, the Constitution, they, they have their own set of rules. Yeah, I, I'm sure we all remember the... Uh the shooting in California with the bank robbers that yes. were heavily armed, and uh, they had guys coming in off-duty uh, wearing flat jackets, and the, the whole, sh the end of the shootout ended up uh, with them jumping out of the car and shooting from around that car. They tried to get out of the, uh, you know, flee the the, uh, the, uh, the area there, but that was probably one of the most intense shootouts that was insane that, yeah these that, guys were uh, wrapped in body they were wrapped in body yeah, armor every they all had automatic weapons ak-47s uh, ar-15s and uh, um that was uh uh one of the i remember one of the worst shootouts that it was and it was it was, it was a car involved in it they were shooting through the windshields uh, you know the cops had to shoot back through glass to to, to them and they, f they finally got along, but there was a lot of police injured in the incident. Absolutely. That's, that's a perfect example. On this job, you never know what you're going to get into. Uh, you know, we've been discussing the dangers of car stops and vehicle pursuits and different policy changes, um, but also previously with the policy changes with these shoot shooting policies. Um, 
you know, if you look in the videos, you saw the videos that we just watched, people don't hesitate to shoot for us, to shoot at us, and uh, we have to be ready. And you just hope that the policies that are being instituted don't cause anybody else to hesitate when they shouldn't. And on that, Dean, uh, I know, brought you in here, and you've been involved in a lot of stuff during your career in the South Bronx, and I know uh, you've been involved in a vehicle pursuit. Yeah, well, it was a pursuit that actually turned into a shooting, but... Um it started out with us uh, pulling over a, um, a Toyota Land Cruiser. It was in uh, the South Bronx on um, by um, Yankee Stadium. And uh, by Yankee Stadium, there is a enclosed, uh, they used to call them Kinney lots, where it's a multi-level parking lot. Um, and so we tried to pull this uh, car over, uh, this Land Cruiser, and he pulled into that lot. Now, um multi-level parking lot for the stadium there's only one way in and one way out so um when the guy we followed him into the lot um the plate comes back 1016 remember that it's stolen it, vehicle it's yep. uh, when you hear 1016 uh, you know you get uh, tense because uh, you know you got you got a hit you got a stolen car so it comes back so you know um we all uh you know alert each other hey this car is 16 uh, let's be a little careful um, go to pull it over, to tell the driver to you know stop the vehicle, and the guy rolls up the windows and he pulls it into the lot. Now in the lot there's all these cement pylons and stuff like that, and he kind of probably knew that the only way he could get out of there is to come out the same way. So um, at that time I worked in Bronx Task Force. We worked with uh, a sergeant and ten cops, and uh, so we were in two police vans. So when he went into the lot, says, "Well, he's ours. We're he's you know we're not gonna." Uh, He's not getting out of here. We're going to catch him. Uh, well, they blocked the, the exit with two police vans. Well, he was able to get into the lot, make a U-turn, come out, and ram two police vans. Flipped, one of the vans flipped over. Backed up again. Um, cops are all dancing around trying to give the, the guys directions to stop the vehicle. Um, I tried to break the driver's side glass with a flashlight as I'm pulling out my gun, trying to do the two things at once. Uh, other cops are calling our radio for backup. There's a lot going on. Very short amount of time. I couldn't get the window broken. It just escalated where a few cops got run over. I got hit myself, knocked back. It just it escalated to the point where we had to fire on this on the on the vehicle. I shot through the driver's side window, blew the window out, shot uh, and fired two rounds into the guy's chest, stopped him. Uh, seven police fired at him. I believe it was 15 or 16 rounds. The guy lived, got one of his fingers shot off, got shot up several parts of his body, stopped the car, pulled him out, locked, put handcuffs on him, off to the hospital he went. He ended up living. And he didn't die from his injuries. But there was a situation. It was a stolen car. The guy, he was a three-time loser, which means he, he had prior arrests. He didn't want to go to jail that day, and it just escalated into a mess where two police vans were wrecked, and uh, had to, you know, shoot the guy to stop him. The, uh, we had to go to grand jury. They justified us. We had justified to use the force that we did to stop him. But the job didn't really back us up. You know, that, uh, the, the uh, policy in back then, they didn't want you shooting in vehicles at all. But you have to make the decision. If you, you have to stop the guy to w what he was doing. We couldn't let him get out of that lot. We couldn't let it. I would had to save our own lives. So uh, that 
out of all the incidents was in where I had to fire my weapon was where I felt the uh, helpless because he was a vehicle against us and it was very hard to stop him with the tools we had. And that's just the way that sometimes that it is. And not only that, if he would run over eight cops, what's yeah. he going to do when he gets out of there? He's because he stopping. doesn't care about anybody else. He's not stopping. Um, this was a very heavy vehicle. They made those, I don't know, it was early 90s Toyota Land Cruiser. The thing was like a tank. Yeah. And, um, you know, to wreck two vans, full-size vans. So uh, it was a, was a horrible mess of a crime scene. I remember that. And I think... Uh, we all went to the hospital, and uh, I was banged up and bruised up. And to go through uh, the stress of that, to go to grand jury for all over a stolen car. So um, thank God, more people. If he would, they would have got out. He could possibly killed you know one of the cops or you know civilians. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible situation. So this is a perfect example. You just never know what you're getting yourself you into. Never know. And then us as you know, when we do vehicle stops. You know, everyone is different. You know, you want to do it in a safe area. You want to create space. You have to give people directions, uh, what to do, roll down the window. Um, sometimes they comply, sometimes they don't. You know, like I said earlier, you might be dealing with a drunk driver. They just don't understand what you're trying to tell them. And you don't know that. You think the guy's not being compliant because he's a real, real bad guy. Right, you have no idea. So you have <coughs> no idea. So some of these are... Uh, or very, very vehicle stops. I remember in New York were one of the hardest things that they really say is the most dangerous thing. Because now you're exiting a vehicle, they're in the vehicle. They have the advantage over you. They're in a vehicle that you get run over. Your vision is blocked. You can't see what what, what they have. Um, it's it just the, the possibilities uh, for things to go bad are, are endless with vehicle stops. I remember uh, hearing a story ye- years ago, and I'm not sure what state it was, but there was a car stop, and the, as the officer approached, the suspect vehicle on the side view mirror had a cross and tape on it as, to look like a sight, okay, like a gun sight. And the door was open a little bit, and what he did was he had it rigged up. There was a gun in there, so all he had to do was pull the ha- handle as the police officer come up you would have him in the sights in the mirror so you never know what what you get into Gary anything you have any uh not really not offhand I can't think of anything all right well if it comes to you let me know you interrupt feel free to interrupt and uh let me know you know over the years due to uh, innocent victims being killed or injured during vehicle pursuits throughout the country the chase policy changed over years and many are called off before they even had a chance to start I think it was uh, back in 1998 or so, I was assigned to the uh, robbery unit. And my partner and I were finishing up with an arrest. <coughs> it was about 2.30 in the morning. It was a robbery arrest. And uh, let me go back for a second. Lieutenant McCarthy, if you're still on and you speak to Brian Lavin, he may have been um, my boss at the time, and I don't think he knows about this story. <laughs> but the uh, statute of limitations have run out, and I think we're safe. <coughs> so it's about 2.30 in the morning, and we're processing the arrest. And I hear a adjoining precinct in a vehicle pursuit. And they're headed towards our general direction. So I said to my partner, instead of taking the Belt Parkway, which would have took us to Brooklyn Central Booking quicker, I said, let's go down Ocean Parkway. And Ocean Parkway was three lanes of traffic in either direction. Well, they're in the pursuit, and uh, we get in the car. Now we have the prisoner in the back. We were driving a Chevy Impala, the old bubble Chevy Impalas, without a prisoner cage in the back. And we've got this guy handcuffed. He's sitting in the back, and we're driving down Ocean Park when we hear the sergeant terminate the pursuit. 
So he terminates it, calls it off. Well, as we're driving, all of a sudden this vehicle cuts across our path and turns into a service lane. So now we don't go over the radio. We were hoping to catch up with him, but we didn't go over the radio. And this guy's driving the service lane, and we're on the main highway, and we're pursuing him. And uh, just as a point of reference, if we were traveling uh, westbound, all of a sudden he makes a left-hand turn going southbound. And now we're tracing down an avenue, and he goes down a one-way street the wrong way, and we're right behind him. Still, we don't get over the radio, and there are no other police cars around. You can't see a marked car anywhere. They've terminated, and they're gone. And what's the prisoner doing? Crapping his pants? The prisoner's just sitting back there. You know, at this point, I don't think we even remembered we had a prisoner in the back of the car. So as we're going down the street, all of a sudden, the passenger side door opens up, and a body comes flying out. My first thought was that the guy who's driving just threw somebody out of the car. But as he hit the ground, he gets up running and jumps over the face, and the parked car now slams into three or four more parked cars. It's just like, you know, the, the stolen car. Just, boom, 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 boom. Oh, my God. Well, now we get out. Now we're in foot pursuit, okay? And we get out, and we're running. We're chasing this guy, and he makes it over a fence. It was a solid fence, and he made it over before, before we did. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning now. I don't have a vest on. My partner doesn't have a vest on. At that point, I said, hey, you know what? We're done because you don't know what's on that other side of the fence. You know, this guy could be laying there in wait, wait lying in wait, there, wait yeah. with a gun, and that was it. Or he may have just went over that fence and the next fence. Well, now we come walking out, and somebody who heard the crash must have called the police because that sergeant who had terminated the chase is now standing outside, and he's got three or four cars that are pretty banged up in the stolen car, and he looks at us, and he says, who, who the hell are you guys? <laughs> And uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, 6 rip which was the robber unit, took a look at us and said, get the hell out of here now. <laughs> you didn't have to tell us twice. And now, now all of a sudden we realized we had a prisoner in the back of the car with no cage. And we were just hoping that when we got back there, he was there. And thank God we got there. He was sitting in the back handcuff and we get in the car. And he says to us, wow, that was the coolest thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just like... It's just like <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have been sent out if he got injured in a car wreck. But uh, let me tell you, we, uh, we we got lucky on a couple different scenarios on that one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but even when a car with, with these with a vehicle stop, remember in the, in the academy? I remember in New York the way they used to. There were certain procedures you had to pull people over and give them directions to get out of the car, um, and they would have to follow that. It didn't always work out that way, but they, they gave us quite a bit of training on how to properly stop cars. Sure, do it in a well-lit area, you know. Yeah, hands out the window, uh, roll down the windows, open the door, walk to me backwards, stuff like that. Um, how many keys, and you try to generalize that with all these car stops, it just doesn't work. No, it works in a different. perfect world, and unfortunately, law enforcement's not a perfect world. You never know. Well, you you also, when when tinted windows came into being, and now I used to be a motorcycle cop, and I would wear sunglasses. I'm on the beach, and the sun's really bright, and it's beating off the sand. Of course, I pull over this car. He's got tinted windows, so I, we don't like to go up to those cars, you know. But I had to, so. I walked up, I put my hand on my gun, I tapped the window like this and moved for him to put the window down. And uh, 
he put the window down and uh, I looked in the car and there were two students and then the one in the passenger seat and the one in the front passenger seat reached down between his legs for a 45 and I, I could see the and, black, and, that, and that wasn't the Colt 45 I know <laughs> I could see the black 45 and I grabbed the driver's head and pushed him forward and drew my gun and told the other guy I'll blow your brains out if you touch that gun and uh, he didn't put his hands up I got him out of the car turned out it was a water pistol the kind with the with the the container of water with the hose that ran to the bottom of the gun right but it was there was no red end on it either in those days and that's right I would have you know like you said that green light boy I was close to green light yeah. and if that kid would have touched that gun I'd have killed him and guess what I would have had to call some Canadian parent and tell him or a detective would have that we killed your son for a water pistol something very similar and that's, happened. that's what you get from it goes from that to the crazy bad guy like you're talking about oh you never know i we did that i was in a plainclothes unit we did a car stop and uh i approached the driver side and i'm asking for his registration and license registration i don't remember it was so long ago i don't remember what it was for but all of a sudden my partner i see my partner put his gun through the window almost to the guy's head and says if you move i'm gonna blow your brains out and i i just step back because I didn't know what was going on. On the floor of the car, there was an Uzi, an Uzi submachine gun on the floor of the car on the passenger side. And it turned, and it also turned out to be a BB gun. Really? Okay, but this thing looked as real as anything you've ever seen. So yeah. you never know. And if it was, if it was real, you know, same thing. Or if the kid would have lunged for it, he would have been shot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We've all seen that with fake guns, too. <laughs> it, yeah. it happens quite often. I want to thank our guest, Dean Swade, for joining me tonight. Dean, you're more than welcome to come back. I really enjoy having you on. It was a pleasure to be here. And I, and I, hope, I hope you will come back. Gary, uh, thank you for joining the team. Uh, it was good. You, you did went well. The show went re really well, I believe. Yeah, it it went well tonight. And remember, you can join our broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m., Eastern on our Observations Facebook page or the Observations Podcast channel on the Metaphor Creative Media YouTube page. And that's Metaphor, M-E-T-A, the number four creative page. If you or someone you know would like to appear as a guest on the show, you can book your appearance by clicking the Book Now button on the Observation Facebook page. Or you can email your request directly to the show at cobservations at yahoo.com. As with the end of every episode where we honor the lives of our fallen brothers and sisters, tonight we honor Officer Daniel Howard Golden of the Huntsville, Alabama Police Department, whose end of watch was on this day, August 29th, back in 2005. Officer Golden was shot and killed when he responded to a domestic disturbance call at a local restaurant. Officer Golden was shot in the head when he arrived at the scene. He was rushed to Huntsville Hospital where he died a short time later. The suspect, who was an illegal alien, was taken into custody at the scene and charged with capital murder. He was subsequently sentenced to death. On April 26, 2015, the murderer committed suicide by hanging himself in his prison cell. Officer Golden had served with the Huntsville Police Department for three years and was assigned to the West Precinct. He is survived by his wife and two children. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in. 
We'll see you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And before I give the final sign-off, my nephew, Brandon McRae, was hired by the Dallas, Texas Police Department. Uh, congratulations. May God watch over you and keep you safe always. Okay, and until next week, everybody stay safe and God bless. Thanks for tuning in.